This is Bo Buchanan, Arizona Lodge number two, and I'm here speaking on the level with Jim Cole. Jim, why don't you start out by telling me your full name, your home blue lodge, and any offices or titles you have connected to that lodge. Okay. Well, my name is Jim Cole. Fully, it's James Dean Cole. Uh, my uh, mother lodge is Craig Hill Lodge number 160 in a little town of Elliston, Virginia, which is in the southwest area of Virginia. Uh, I'm a past master of that lodge and have held a few district offices uh, related to that lodge uh, as well. Um, I grew up in that area but was originally born in western North Carolina in Asheville. Moved to uh, southwestern Virginia in 1969 when I was uh, 11 and uh, grew up in that community where uh, the lodge uh, is located. The lodge has been there uh, for 120 years. Uh, West so Virginia? In, in southwestern state of Virginia. Southwestern so, Virginia. As opposed to the state of West Virginia. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm in Virginia, but in the, in the portion that is near the state of West Virginia. Okay, and I heard correctly, your name is James Dean. James Dean. <laughs> I, would be, I would have that on a name tag or tattooed on my head if that was my name. My name is James Dean. I was, uh, it was actually uh, two middle names, one middle name from my, uh, my dad's brother and one middle name from my uh, uh, mother's brother. But uh, it was also ironic. It was in 1958. It was uh, uh, just shortly after uh, James Dean, the uh, actor, uh, had died. Uh, so th there was probably several reasons for my name being James Dean Cole, but it's uh, pretty cool. There's a lot of derivatives that folks use of that, but I generally go by Jim Cole, uh, which I actually picked up in college. I went to college, and uh, folks called me James, and my roommate said, "Well, my best friend's name is James, and I'm going to call you Jim." <laughs> And, and my roommate was uh, was a member of the wrestling team, and he didn't take no for an answer, and he was a sophomore, and I was a freshman, and he showed me uh, around the world of the university campus, and everywhere I went, he introduced me as Jim, so rather than change it, uh, it sort of stuck. <laughs> I love it. That's great. So do you remember when you first heard of this thing called Freemasonry? I do. Uh, my 25th birthday... My mother came to me after my birthday and said, it's about time that you consider joining the lodge. And I said, what's the lodge? And she said, well, I'm not really sure, but I know it's associated with some good people. And my best friend, my mother's best friend that uh, she had cared for for many years was in the Eastern Star. She said, I know it's associated with Eastern Star, and my favorite teacher from school was an outstanding man down in the North Carolina community. His name was Ed Hensley, and, and he was the chairman of the Board of Deacons at the church, and she just really looked up to this man. And she said, and he was a mason, and he was head of his lodge. And so it's a good organization, and the two men that are my partners in an insurance agency, those two men are masons. And I knew them. And one of those men, in fact, uh, was uh, the result that I became a CPA. He literally gave me advice to, he was a CPA. He went to Virginia Tech, and I went to Virginia Tech. He was 
uh, is 11 years older than me. And ultimately, he and his dad uh, signed my petition to Blue Lodge. Uh, and they were dear friends of, of ours from church. And so anyway, she came home and said, I think it's about time that you considered this. And I said, well, that's, that's fine. Bring me some information. She brought me a petition that was filled out, <laughs> completely filled out, except for my signature. The two men had, had vouched for me and included a check that covered all of my fees. And, um, wow. Yeah. Uh, it, it, I mean, you know, I get, I get a little choked up when I think about it because uh, uh, the elder, uh, it was Jim Pierman Sr. and Jim Pierman Jr. And Sr. has, has uh, recently passed away. Uh, but he was he was a pillar of the community, and I said to them, uh, well, I, I signed it and gave it back, and I was contacted a few days later, and come to find out, I said, well, the investigating committee came to me, and they said, where would uh, where can we meet you? And I said, well, let's meet in the lodge. I didn't know what the building was, and they told me where the lodge was. And it's one of those small world experiences. In 1969, when we moved from North Carolina, I was age 11, as I mentioned a minute ago. We moved from North Carolina because my dad transferred with the Veterans Administration hospital system. And we still had our house in North Carolina. Uh, it was a quick move. He put in for a transfer, and it happened very quickly. Uh, and at the time, they were building Interstate 81 through the western half of the state of Virginia, and the, all of the rental housing was taken up. So there was no rental housing. And the reason he selected Roanoke, we, when, we, when I was younger, uh, when we moved from North, before we moved from North Carolina, we used to travel and camp each year for two weeks on the parkway. And we got off a couple of times near Roanoke, Virginia, got off the parkway and went to a local restaurant to sort of have a different a change of pace for our meals. So he selected Roanoke to transfer to. Based on that? Based upon that. <laughs> so we go to Roanoke, and he and, him and my mother were up there while we were still in school in North Carolina. He went up there, and they said, okay, which direction should we go to look for housing? And they said, well, let's go west because it's closer to our original home in North Carolina. So they literally started going west and stopping and asking people, do you know of any place to rent for a few months until we sell our house after we, so we can move up? And they could find nothing. And they stopped at a local store, and the storekeeper said, I just had a unit open up this morning, and I will give it to you. And they leased it on the spot, and this was 10 days before we were to move. So we moved up there 10 days later, Easter weekend in 1969. Easter weekend? Easter weekend. I remember all of this stuff. because, it, it, And I say it's a small world. I don't mean to belabor the point, but here's what happened. That was a two-story building. The shopkeeper's name, who became our landlord's name, was Roy Graham. I found him later to be a past master. Roy Graham was on the board of the local bank. When, my, when we moved in and he gave my mother the keys 10 days after they signed that lease, he said, by the way, he said, I think you mentioned you were an insurance agent. She said, yes. And he said, well, 
There's an opening in the insurance agency that is owned by the president of the bank. The president of the bank's name was Jim Pierman, who ultimately signed my petition. My mom and dad moved on Friday, Good Friday, Easter weekend. On Monday, my mom went up and interviewed, and on Tuesday, she went to work uh, at that insurance agency with the father and later son who signed my petition. So when I asked to be investigated by the investigating committee to enter the lodge, I went to that same building where that store was, where my family had originally found a place to live in the store downstairs when they met with the proprietor. Well, I went upstairs and that was the lodge room. The lodge owns that store building, still does today. Holy cow. Uh, Roy Graham, the shopkeeper, was on my committee. My Sunday school teacher, who, who I greatly, greatly admired, uh, Bill Williams, uh, was the chairman of that committee, investigating committee. And the third member of that investigating committee was, was the um, treasurer of the local Baptist church who, who had actually taken over the job from my mom when we had transferred from the Baptist to the Methodist church. So uh, of, of the deacons of that local Baptist church where I had originally started when we went to that community, eight of the nine were past masters of that lodge. Uh, when, when we moved to the Methodist church, the, uh, uh, Mr. Pierman and Jim Pierman, the two men who ultimately signed my petition, were, were, were very active in that church and encouraged me to to begin lay speaking at the age of 15, and I'm, I'm still a Methodist lay speaker today, uh, 40 years later. Uh, but anyway, uh, all of that's small world stuff for me. So I'm sitting in the lodge with the investigating committee, and it's, it's these three people, and we're over in the corner of the lodge room, not the northeast corner, but in the, actually in the northwest corner of the lodge. I still Sometimes when I go to lodge meetings, I'll sit in that chair. And, and I went and sat in that chair, and they sat with me, and they asked me a few questions, but they had known me most of my life at that point. And, and we knew each other, and finally, the, the chairman, who's my Sunday school teacher, looked at me and he said, okay, what can you ask us? And I said, you know, and I'm sitting there knowing that because of one of these guys, when he was downstairs before he had retired and was running that store downstairs, he was the only reason that we had not only lived in that community, that my mom had an insurance business in that community, that she had met the two people that signed my petition. I, I said, well, I only have one question. What's, what's, that little, what's that little table out there in the middle of the room and what's on it? <laughs> And they said, that's our altar. The, the guy who taught me Sunday school for so many years said, that's our altar. And that's right now, that's the, that's the Holy Bible. And everything we do is, the reason that's in the center of the room is everything we do is centered on the light that we can take from that book. And I said, okay, I'll join. And it, it, that was it. Um, wow. It, it was... It was a very, my life is full of small, uh, small world stories. The, uh, 
What year was that? That was in 1983. I had just literally um, just picked out a ring and proposed um, proposed about six weeks later to my wife, um, who, who is very supportive of Freemasonry. The Tyler in that lodge that night was the then Grand Senior Warden of the Grand Lodge of Virginia. He remained in the office of Tyler through his term as Grand Master. And he was only, Grand Master and Tyler. He was Grand Master and Tyler. <laughs> and when he was in our district, he said, it's Tyler first and Grand Master second. Yes. Wow. Um, he, he became my Masonic mentor, my, one of the first of many, really. Uh, and uh, two years later, when he's made Grand Master, he made me a district education officer, appointed me to the Grand Lodge Finance Committee. Um, Ultimately, I became Worshipful Master of the Lodge, but ultimately the, the Grand Lodge Finance Committee led me to be Chairman of the Finance Committee and, and sort of help our Grand Lodge through some uh, difficult financial times, and uh, it became somebody's idea that uh, they thought I might be a good leader after that, and it, it, it ultimately led to me being Grand Master in 2001. So that's sort of my Masonic uh, history in Blue Lodge. So Grand Master usually, uh, just like a Master of Lodge, a Grand Master usually has a plan or a theme for his year. What was your What was your focus that year when you were Grand Master? What were you trying to do? My theme My theme for that year, I had three or four projects, and I had an over, I had a theme, and I had three or four projects and an underlying goal. My theme was do good unto all, which is taken from the. Uh, charge at the closing, uh, at least in Virginia lodges, the closing of every lodge, uh, and it harkens back to uh, the book of Galatians in the New Testament, uh, chapter 6, verses 8 through 10, um, and that was my theme, so do good unto all, because we, we say in the closing, it's, it's not a Masonic secret, it's a, it's a public closing, but we say in the closing, these generous principles are to extend further. Every human being has a claim upon your kind offices. Do good unto all, more especially to the household of the faithful, which is pretty much verbatim from Galatians. Uh, but it encourages us to take what we learn in the lodges and take it forward and do something with it. So with that being my theme, my, my underlying goal which I actually never stated publicly, uh, maybe until now, but uh, my underlying goal was, was to remind every Master Mason, every member of the fraternity, of the obligations uh, that we were under, but that we were not only to learn from those obligations, but the whole process was to take light from our Creator and to use that to spread light to others. So that was effectively my underlying goal. Now how did we go about doing that? One of, one of my uh, strategies, as it were, to look at a strategic plan approach, one of my strategies was, number one, recognition of Prince Hall as regular. And we were, during my tenure as Grand Master, my last act, I got a vote of the delegates by more than a two-to-one majority to confirm that Virginia recognized Prince Hall Freemasonry as regular Freemasonry. We were the first uh, grand jurisdiction uh, south of the Mason-Dixon to do so. 
Um, the second goal was to um, establish a training program for our uh, lodge officers at a district level. Uh, the third goal was, and again, in, in keeping with helping us be better Masons and, and do what we're supposed to be doing better. So, and, and that program is still in effect today. I'm, I'm, very, I'm very pleased that everything that I did was continued because that doesn't often happen with Grand Masters because you can completely undo whatever was done before. But uh, did that. Uh, the third goal was to recognize a special outstanding youth from each of the three Masonic youth organizations. Uh, and again, uh, that award is now in its 16th year in Virginia. Uh, and the fourth goal was to better establish the Masonic Home uh, fundraising efforts for our retirement community, uh, the Masonic Home of Virginia, and to uh, establish a system of ambassadors uh, for that Masonic Home through all the lodges to, to assist in the operation of that home. And three days after I went out as Grand Master, the home approached me and offered me the job to come and run the Masonic Home of Virginia, which is, is my current job today. Oh, wow. So, again, sort of a small world effect that, that things keep sort of happening around. Um, but uh, that's my Masonic background as far, I mean, you know, as far as the lodge goes. So did you have... Uh as you were going through uh, masonry, when when did you join the Scottish Rite? I did not join the Scottish Rite early. Uh, I became a Master Mason on July, I was raised on July 19th, 1983. Um, I became, I joined uh, the Royal Arch in December uh, of that year. Uh, again, I was in, a lot of times in, in Freemasonry you have these mentor relationships and I was encouraged by a mentor that that would be a good next step. And, and we had a lot of discussion about well, what would be a good next step for you. Uh, I was going, I, I was, I was, I've never served as junior deacon nor as grand junior deacon which are both progressive chairs in Virginia. I started, I was, I was raised in July of 1983 and in December at the first elections they skipped me into the senior deacon chair. Uh, same thing ultimately happened when I went through Grand Line. But uh, I joined in, uh, in late 1983, in December 1983, I joined the Royal Arch. Then I did not join Scottish Rite uh, until 1991. Um, interestingly, they, told, they came to me and said, um, you're probably going to be Grand Master one day. We think you're going to be nominated in the next couple of years. And Scottish Rite uh, is, is, is a very, uh, is the body in Virginia that is closest and most supportive of our Grand Lodge. And therefore, uh, we think it would be good for you to have exposure in Scottish Rite. So the, uh, my mentor, who was by then a past Grand Master, uh, was the personal representative in Rona. Uh Again, the same pattern ensued. He brought me a petition that was signed out and it was already filled out and had a check attached. Oh my God. And, uh, you lead a charmed life. I know. <laughs> and so I signed, I signed the uh, petition uh, and joined, ironically, um, I joined 
in what was called the Ted Weber class, which was at that point the only man that had ever served as Lieutenant Grand Commander uh, from Scottish, for Scottish Rite from the state of Virginia. Uh, so on May 5th, 1991, I joined in the Ted Weber statewide memorial class. Ted Weber had been uh, sort of a local hero in the uh, Roanoke community. Um, my, uh, my wife grew up uh, literally just down the street uh, from, from where he lived and had and initiated several businesses in the area. So Ted Weber, the Ted Weber class was in honor of the past, uh, late past Lieutenant Grand Commander. He was also a past Grand Master in Virginia um, and obviously was, was a former SGIG in Virginia. So I look back on that, uh, sort of ironic that I'm now the second Lieutenant Grand Commander from the Commonwealth of Virginia and I came in in his class. So That's pretty uh, cool. I know I did. It, so it, it, you know these things have have a lot of meaning to me, and I and I try to reflect on that. And I think I think I uh, it encourages me to realize uh, greater meanings in a lot of things, and it reminds me so much of of the teachings that that we're about in Freemasonry, of of learning from things that may appear simple to others, but we can take and by reflection on them. Uh, learn greater meanings, particularly moral meanings. Um, you know, we, we talk about what other people would call rocks. You know, we talk about ashlers and we talk about tools. Um, and, and I've always tried to learn from those things. And in, and in most cases, that's what I do when somebody asks me to give a little after-dinner talk at a lodge or something. So give me a nugget from one of those, because one of the questions I usually ask people is we say that masonry takes good men and make them better, and a lot of sure. times I'll say, how has masonry made you a better sure. man? So give me a nugget from well, one of those things. Well, I'll give you a nugget from, from one that, that, that folks, and I try not to ever repeat these things, but, but folks have asked me to try to repeat one of them, which ironically I gave at the Scottish Rite in 2001. And, and as I often do, I pick something common in the room, and, and here's my Masonic analogy to something I found on my plate. The green bean. Uh, the green bean is something that, to many masons, we have we see so many of them. Uh, we we come to think that a masonic event uh, with a dinner has to have green beans, particularly in Virginia. So, uh, in green beans, green beans, uh, the preparation of green beans is a very masonic process because really, what you're talking about is you go back and and you start with potentially fertile ground, you plant a seed, you cultivate it, then you harvest that seed that has become a fruit of a vine, and then you prepare it. And you can prepare green beans a lot of different ways. You can even cut green beans a lot of different ways. You can cut them long strips, they call French cut. You can, you can cook them whole, you can cook them thoroughly, you can cook them with what we call fatback or you can cook them without, you can cook them with all sorts of different things. But to every person who comes into masonry, we want those who are fertile ground coming into us. Therefore, not, Freemasonry is not for everyone. But if, it, but if it is for someone who is interested in what we do and what we're about, and interesting in, in perhaps bettering themselves and perhaps seeing something bigger, then 
they come in and we do the same thing with them. We bring them in, we try to harvest those new members, we try to, we try to work with them as we cultivate them and grow them. At times they have opportunities to do different things that they may want to pursue in Freemasonry. We have all these appendant branches off of the vine of the basic Blue Lodge, very similar to beans coming off the plant. And, and, and this is where individuals in Freemasonry can take what they have and what they've learned and, and, and the enlightenment that has come to them, and they can take their own personal strengths and they can use them in whatever venue that, that they feel is best for them. For example, I'm very active, more active now in the Scottish Rite, than, and I'm in lots of Masonic bodies, but I'm much more active in Scottish Rite because I made that decision. Uh, I have a master's degree in education in, in addition to my undergraduate in accounting. I have part of, of a doctorate in education, uh, classes toward that. I'm really big on education and therefore F Scottish Rite Freemasonry, which we sometimes refer to as, as the University of Freemasonry, appeal to me very much. So, but we have the opportunity, just like when you prepare that bean and you think about where it came from and, and all that you can do to it, we have this, that's a Masonic process because we're taking something good, we're, we're trying to, to fix it to, to, to suit a particular purpose, but trying to utilize what's best for it, bring out the flavor, if you would. <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> and, and as we bring out, you know, so rather than just saying we, we take good men and make them better, which is, is a true statement, but it, it's really not the whole picture. But we certainly can bring out the flavor and bring out the best flavor in those who come to us. And we can even, as, as some people can do, you have four different, four different folks, four different chefs who want to cook green beans. You may get completely different flavors. But, but through that process, you can, you can expose yourself to so many different things. And the more perspectives you have in life, the more education that you receive in life, the better a person you are and ultimately, my goal in life is to be a better reflection of, of, in my mind and through my faith, the one who created me. And Freemasonry allows me to be a better reflection because it offers those opportunities. Meeting with people, seeing their perspectives. Men of all faiths, men of all backgrounds. Men of all faiths, men of all backgrounds. You know, I just, I just as you know, I just emceed this event, had 230 or 40 people in there. And people, and, and you know, my good friend Ronnie Seal, the Grand Commander, said, you know, it wears you out. Well, the truth is, as you can tell, I'm wound. <laughs> because, because I draw energy from the fact that I can see, and, and it, there were people giving ideas on both sides of, of the same issue in there. And that's fine, because as humans, we... No, when you stand in a different place in this room, you have a different perspective of anything that's in this room. And the more I can understand someone else's perspective, then the better I can understand what we're both looking at. And therefore, I can be a better person about whatever that is, whether, whether it's a problem of humanity, whether it's a problem of a, a mathematical problem or a financial problem, as long as I can understand perspectives better. And, and where someone is coming from. 
So that's why I enjoy that process, that educational process. I mean, I started masonry, you know, my first office outside of Lodge was as a district education officer. And so I've enjoyed it from, from that respect uh, and still do to this day. I, I greatly respect the ritual. I mean, at the end of my Master Mason's degree, I said, I want to I be able to do those lectures. I wanted to be a ritualist. And in fact, we deliver charges at the end of every degree in Virginia. There are three charges. There's a charge at the end of each degree. And, it, and, and in our ritual, we say, nothing re remains now, my brother, except the charge which is to be read to you. So somebody gets up and reads it. Well, by the time I finished my Master Mason, before I finished my Master Mason's degree, when I finished my Fellowcraft degree, I said, because there was another guy going through the degrees sort of behind me, a few steps behind me. I said, why can I not recite that to him? Everything else is recited and it's done so beautifully. And they said, well, I, I guess you can. I said, good, can I do it for, because I'm a fellow craft, can I do it for him? So from that point until now, with the exception of a couple times we've been out of town, every charge in my Blue Lodge has been recited by me to every camp. Really? Yes. Wow. I mean, I've, I've missed a, a few because I was out of town or something, but basically that's what I do in degree work is I give them, I give them see, I've given that last word. And I'm not going to give them the last word by reading it to them from a book. No, I imagine you put some meaning. Uh, I, I put a little meaning into it. <laughs> I put a little meaning into it. And, you know, uh, the best way to learn is to teach. And the best way to teach also is to listen. I mean, you, and, and listening comes in many forms. I do a lot of educational seminars outside of Freemasonry among CPAs and professional groups. And where I get a kick is I get to watch everybody's nonverbal communication. And 90% and of human communication is nonverbal. So I get to, I know what people, I mean, I, I can pretty much read what's going on. So when I'm saying something in class, I can tell if they agree or disagree, and then I can call on them. And, and I can learn them because then I get a different perspective. And I get to look at things from a lot of different angles, and therefore that helps me be, I think, a better person. So what did you say your title is in Scottish Rite? In Scottish Rite, my title is Sovereign Grand Inspector General in Virginia, which means I'm the head of Scottish Rite Freemasonry in Virginia. And I am the Lieutenant Grand Commander for the Southern Jurisdiction, which means I'm a Supreme Council Officer for the Mother Council in Scottish Rite. I'm the, basically the number two guy. Uh, in the southern grand, jurisdiction. In the southern jurisdiction behind okay. the Grand Command. So Ronnie kicks the bucket. <laughs> we don't talk about that. No, <laughs> no but I, I've got a great friend in, in Ronnie Seal. Um, he, he's the kind of leader that uh, everyone should be. I can tell you the first time I met him was in Dallas. Uh, I was already appointed as a deputy, and I registered at the table, and they said, the Lieutenant Grand Commander is wanting to see you. And I said, okay. So one of the uh, past grandmasters from North Carolina who I knew said, well, I'll take you to him. So he took me around the corner, and here came this tall guy, threw his arm around me, and he said, I'm Ron Seal, but you can call me Ronnie. And uh, we walked off, literally walked down the hall and, and went off and sat down. And he was in your role together. you're in now at that time. I was, uh, uh, he was in the role that I'm in now. He okay. was lieutenant grand commander, the number two guy. 
He was from Louisiana. I was from Virginia. Uh, we met the first time and and uh, hit it off from day one. We I don't know how long we sat and talked, just the two of us, when when we got away by ourselves then, and uh, we've been uh, we've been very close friends ever since. So, what is your job? You're the, you're the number two guy. What is your job? What do you do? What do you spend most of your time doing? Well, um, as a number two guy, uh, you know, I, I I could be flipping and say basically whatever the number one guy wants me to do, uh, which to some degree is true. But he has asked me, for instance, to plan and to sort of chair these workshops, these Scottish Rite workshops that we've done. Um, I help, uh, I sort of guide the agendas for a lot of our meetings, uh, put them together, make sure the details are put together. Um, as he alluded earlier, my background is a CPA. That's sort of one of my strengths is, you know, the details. Uh, also, I had previously been the Grand Treasurer General for the Supreme Council. Um, I'm a CPA by training, uh, a, a nonprofit specialist over the last 35 years. So that sort of gives me an opportunity to help a lot of Grand Lodges and a lot of our Scottish Rite bodies in some of their financial issues, concerns, best practices, those kind of things. So I spend a lot of time helping um, my colleagues on the council with issues that they might have, uh, so I sort of go off and, and help them when they've got a problem. Uh, it, a lot of times it's, it's over the internet or over the telephone, but a couple of times I've had to go to other uh, states and, and sit down and help them solve some problems related to those issues that, that I have a little bit of expertise in. And at the same time, you're the SGIG for Louisiana. Virginia. I'm sorry, Virginia. At the okay. same time, I'm the SGIG for, for Virginia, and my full-time job is as the CEO of the Masonic Home of Virginia, which is a retirement community. And my part-time job is as, <laughs> part <-time> job. <laughs> is as a, <laughs> a consultant um, with a lot of nonprofit organizations. I write, there's a required ethics course for CPAs in Virginia. I write that course. Mm -hmm. And I'm also uh, a, a teacher for that course, uh, and I certify the other teachers for that course. Uh, it's a required course that every CPA has to have, and I, I end up teaching a few thousand CPAs a year, uh, an ethics course, which uh, if you looked at it closely, you would say, well, there's a lot of Masonic principles in that ethics uh, program, but uh, it's an ethics course that, is a, that is, has to be approved by the Board of Accountancy, uh, mandatory two-hour course. And I teach about 30 or 35 sessions of that a year to audiences anywhere from 25 to um, 350 people. Um, wow. So I get to do that. That's, that sort of keeps me in practice with presenting to people. So your whole life is, is I don't want to say consumed, but is dedicated. Every aspect of your life is touched by masonry, really. And yes. What is it that keeps you, that gives you that energy back? You know, you talk about Ronnie saying you, you're burnt out, but you're obviously not. What keeps you energized? What keeps you going and keeps you interested? Um, it, it, it keeps me lit up. Well, first of all, my wife very strongly encourages me to do this. Uh, she is a stronger advocate of Freemasonry <clears throat> than I am. Wow. Uh, you, as, I, as I joke to people, if you say something against Freemasonry, you don't want to meet my wife in the dark alley because she, she is very, uh, she's not only supportive, she's defensive of, of Freemasonry when, when people uh, misunderstand. 
she, uh, I don't know if she has one in her purse now, but she quite often carries a petition for Blue Lodge. Uh, I know she carried one all the years that I was going through Grand Line, and uh, she utilized that a lot. Uh, she's very supportive of it. But what makes, to, to specifically get back to your question and answer it, what what keeps me going for Freemasonry? I mean, I, I'm one of the few people that actually does it for a living because I run a Masonic home and, and I do so much of it on the side uh, in these various roles. What keeps me going is it is the it's the opportunity for individuals to, again, go through an educational process to be able to, as we say in several of of our rituals, uh, to not be bad, to not make themselves better than other people, but to simply improve themselves. And I see this improvement, and I see uh, the light going on, and I see these people, these good men, motivated by what they're talking about. And to see someone who is enthusiastic about what they're doing is, is energizing. To see someone who is willing to learn. You know, my seventh grade teacher, uh, Coach Dickerson, uh, my seventh grade teacher pounded one thing into my head, and, and I have lived by it to this very day, and that is the day you stop learning something new each day is the day you're going to die. He felt that as a human being, you had to constantly be in search. And this is a basketball coach. He was not a great philosopher. <laughs> he was more a Yogi Berra type, you know. But, but he really felt that every day you had to learn something new. And that's what, that's what we can do in Freemasonry. Seeing the light bulb go off with people uh, in a big group. And that's why I like teaching in front of groups and being in front of groups. Because you can see those little light bulb bulbs go off, and boy, that just gives me energy. Instant feedback. Instant, instant feedback. And and with people, you can tell that they are enjoying doing something. This fraternal association that is meaningful, it's good, and it has historically been wonderful for the world, and has made a real difference. And they are participating in it, and I get to help them do that. And that's what gives me the energy. Well, I want to thank you for taking time to talk to me today. Uh, I could talk to you probably for an hour, but uh, dinner is being served right here. (laughs) That is it.